listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, award-winning volunteer and chapter leadership committee member of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me today. And hello to all of our listeners. We are recording this a little earlier. Let's see, today's April 15th, which most years is tax day. This year's a little different, but by the time people hear this, it will be May. Uh, all things considered, it was not a bad winter, weather-wise here on the New Hampshire seacoast. But of course, like the whole country, we have been dealing recently with the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time we're recording this, uh, the start of it would be our, the start of our open house season at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, but that's in question right now. We are still in the age of social distancing uh, at this time, the time we're recording this, and that's why we're recording this over the phone instead of in person, like we usually do. This is going to be a little different, but I think it'll still produce a great episode. Uh, I think so, too. Uh, normally we'd be sitting across the kitchen table at the uh, exactly the, yeah at the famous bluefish boulevard recording studios but uh it should work out over the phone things will return to normal eventually it's not clear at this point exactly when that'll be but when things do get back to normal i know that all the staff and volunteers at lighthouses uh, everywhere will be ready to go i know i'm ready to go i would love to be able to start our open houses on time and start greeting visitors at the lighthouse yeah, me too. You know, actually, a few days ago, uh, my wife Charlotte and I, did. we did go over to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. It's the first time I had been there in a while. Uh, it is on a Coast Guard station, for people who might not be familiar with it, uh, near here in Newcastle, New Hampshire. And uh, we, had, we did go over there to, to do a little bit, just for a short time, a few days ago. Uh, and it was really nice to get over there. I'm sure you miss it, Michelle. And, I do. Uh, yeah. I do miss it a lot. Hopefully, we'll be able to spend some time over there this year. Hopefully, a lot of time. But we'll, you know, our everybody's health is the first concern, and we'll we'll take it a, a day and a week at a time. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, on to uh, today's episode of Lighthearted. Today we're going to be listening to part one of a two-part interview with Dave and Lynn Waller, the owners of Graves Lighthouse in Outer Boston Harbor, Massachusetts which is just about 50 miles down the coast from where we are in Portsmouth, where I am. You're in Rochester, New Hampshire. I'm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Graves Lighthouse is one of the classic granite wave-swept offshore towers on the Atlantic coast of North America. Michelle, let's tell our listeners about Graves Lighthouse and Dave and Lynn Waller. Sure, Jeremy. The ledges in outer Boston Harbor, called Graves, covering about 10 acres in all, are named for Rear Admiral Thomas Graves, who came to America from London in 1628 and was an early settler of Charlestown, Massachusetts. Graves himself, as early as 1634, noted the danger to navigation the ledges presented. An iron bell buoy was placed near the ledges in 1854. The bell buoy was later replaced by a whistling buoy. The broad sound channel which passes north of the Graves Ledges was improved in the early 20th century to become the primary route into Boston's inner harbor. The new prominence of this channel necessitated the building of a lighthouse at the Graves, 
construction took place from 1903 to 1905. First, the granite blocks for the tower were cut at Rockport on Cape Ann. Work at the graves began in June 1903. An area on the ledge was leveled by blasting. The foundation was laid just four feet above the low tide mark, and the lower courses were bolted three feet deep into the rock. By the time the summer of 1903 was over, the first 42 feet of the tower were completed, the blocks having been put into place with the aid of a hoisting engine and derrick. The tower is just over 30 feet in diameter at the base, and the lower stones held to each other with strong bolts are seven feet thick. The lower 42-foot section of the tower was filled with concrete with a space left for a cistern. The summer of 1904 saw the lighthouse reach its ultimate height, including the lantern of 88 feet. With a total of 882 granite blocks and 44 courses, with the lantern added, the tower is 113 feet tall. On the night of September 1st, 1905, the first keeper, Elliot C. Hadley, lighted what was then the most powerful lighthouse in the state's history. A huge first-order Fresnel lens from Paris, rotating on 400 pounds of mercury, produced a light that was initially rated at 380,000 candle power. It was later upgraded to 3.2 million candle power, and it was for many years the most powerful light in New England. The entrance door to the tower was at the top of a 30-foot ladder. The first story was the landing and storage space, the second was the engine room containing the fog signal equipment, and the third floor was the kitchen. The fourth and fifth levels contained the keeper's beds and a library. Hand grips were built into the outside of the lantern, which made the treacherous job of cleaning the outside of the glass a little easier. Two of the floors and all of the walls were finished with enameled bricks. The handrails on the stairways were mahogany, and the rest of the woodwork was oak. Coast Guard keepers took over the operation of the station from the Civilian Lighthouse Service in the early 1940s. During the Coast Guard era, there were generally two keepers on duty at all times. Each man spent two or three weeks at the lighthouse, followed by a week off. The light was automated in 1976, and the keepers were reassigned. There had been problems in the 1970s with the mercury that served as a bearing for the rotating lens. The enormous lens, which was replaced by modern equipment when the light was automated, now sits in storage at the Smithsonian Institution. Weather and vandalism took their toll. The old walkway that led to the oil house was destroyed by storms, and vandals caused thousands of dollars in damage. The fog signal house was swept away in the perfect storm of October 1991. The light was converted to solar power in the summer of 2001, which eliminated the need for a submarine power cable. The light remains an active aid to navigation today with a modern VRB 25 optic. Graves Lighthouse is like an old friend to me. I lived in Winthrop, Massachusetts with a view of the lighthouse for almost 15 years. I visited Graves Light in June 2001 by helicopter while it was being converted to solar power. It was one of my most memorable lighthouse visits ever. I'll never forget how the pilot, Dale Hardy, landed the helicopter without hesitation on a tiny platform on the side of the lighthouse tower. We climbed the 30-foot ladder up the side of the tower to the entryway and went inside and up the stairs to the lantern room for a breathtaking view of outer Boston Harbor. On the way back, we hovered near Boston Light, America's oldest light station, where I took a photo that was later used on the cover of one of my books. 
Under the guidelines of the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act, the lighthouse was sold in a government auction in September 2013 to businessman David Waller. The selling price was $933,888, more than twice the highest amount previously paid for a lighthouse at auction. Dave Waller owns a video special effects company headquartered on Newbury Street in Boston, and he also collects and restores old neon signs. He and his wife Lynn, a graphic designer, live in a restored fire station in the Boston suburb of Malden. Since buying Graveslight, the Wallers have completed a great deal of restoration, and you can follow their progress on their website, graveslightstation.com. Dave and Lynn Waller were honored with the American Lighthouse Foundation's Keeper of the Light Award in May 2018. I recently had the opportunity to visit the Wallers at their home in Malden, Massachusetts, along with my friend Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. I found the interview extremely interesting and I decided it would be better not to edit it much, so instead we're presenting it in two episodes, part one now and part two next week. So let's listen to part one of my interview with Dave and Lynn Waller now. We're here at the home of Dave and Lynn Waller in Malden, Massachusetts. Uh, and of course, the Wallers are the owner of Graves Lighthouse in Outer Boston Harbor. Thanks so much for having us in your home, Dave hey. and Lynn. We really, really appreciate it. Sure, no problem. It's a pleasure, Jeremy. It's good to be on your show. <laughs> Thank you. And with us also is Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, and of course, an old friend. Great to have you here as well, Bob. Thanks, Jeremy. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Dave, there's a lot of ground I want to cover. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. You have done uh, just unbelievable, uh, I would say miraculous things out at Graves Light. So there's just, uh, I have, I think, the longest list of questions I've ever prepared for a, a guest <laughs> on my, my podcast. I don't know if we'll cover everything, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try. All right. Well, we'll make it up if we don't know. How's that? <laughs> that's that's perfect. Excellent. Thank you. So before we talk about Graves Light and all the amazing restoration you've done, I'd just like to talk a little bit about your background. First of all, you and I, as you know, have a couple of things in common besides our love of lighthouses. That's something we have uh, obviously in common. But besides that, we both graduated from Emerson College in Boston. Yep. And we're both from Lynn, Massachusetts, not far from where we sit right now. Yeah, but it was lighthouses that brought us together. That's very true. For listeners who might not know, Lynn is a city on the North Shore of Boston, just a few miles north of Boston. And it's got a tremendous history as a shoemaking capital and one of the birthplaces of General Electric. And it's also got a long shoreline and beach. And I'm just wondering, do you think growing up in Lynn had anything to do with you developing a love for the ocean and also history? Well, yeah, my dad had a sailboat. Um, and so we would sail uh, Broad Sound and all the way down to Boston. And then once in a while, go down to Situate and through the Cape Cod Canal. So I uh, used to notice graves and minots, of course, and those dark, forbidding-looking places that no one lived in. Uh, we... Um, we really did like the ocean a lot. And when I was a little kid, I had a, a maritime museum that I built in my grandfather's <laughs> basement. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Wow. So it did uh, have an effect on you. I used to gaze out at Egg Rock as a kid uh, from Lynn Beach. And I didn't know there was, it was a lighthouse there at one time on, on Egg Rock, one of the oh, prominent yeah. islands off of Lynn Beach there. Yep. Uh, so uh, you have a special effects company in Boston? Yes. 
called Brickyard VFX. Yep. And I believe it also has offices in Santa Monica, California. Uh, used to, but... We, used to. Yeah, we closed that last year. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, the one in Boston is doing great, and it's named after the uh, neighborhood in Lynn that my grandfather grew up in, which was, I guess they must have made bricks there in the neighborhood. Ah, I didn't know that. Wow. So I learned something new about that. Could you tell us a little, just a little bit more about this special effects company? What do you, what do, you do there? Well, um, we do. They, we call them visual effects because uh, they're mostly digital, but we uh, will work for movies, for TV commercials, for internet advertising, just about anything with a moving picture. So we'll do animation. We just did three Super Bowl spots that you might have seen on the Super Bowl last week. And, um, you know, we have clients like uh, Progressive Insurance and Bank of America and some big name clients. And then we have small clients as well, with some local things. But the thing I like about it the most is that we get to make things and every job is different. Cool. I'm sure we could, you could talk a lot more about that, but we're, we're supposed to be talking about a lighthouse today. So we'll talk <laughs> mostly about that, but that is so cool. Sure. Uh, having gone to Emerson College like you did, uh, I majored in film there, so I'd, I'd love to hear more about your your uh, VFX company. Uh, you're also an antiques dealer, especially uh, not dealer, but collector. I shouldn't say dealer. You are a collector. I'll yep. It's kind uh, of a one-way street with Dave. It's uh, He collects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't go away. <laughs> uh, neon signs are kind of a, a specialty of yours. And you have an amazing collection, which uh, this is my first time in your home. And it's like really uh, absolutely a, a museum. It's really like walking into a museum. It's an amazing collection. Thanks. Uh, many of your, much of your collection is here in your home. But I understand you also uh, loan some of uh, your collection, your signs and things out. Yep. Uh, how did all this start for you? Oh, I was riding my bike with my brother when I was nine, I think. And we found a dump in the woods and... We found a couple of signs in the woods, and I took them home, and I uh, thought they were cool because kids didn't collect signs. We didn't know anybody collected signs, and then found a couple more signs along the way, and I guess it's like tattoos, which I don't have any, but you get one, and you get another one, and all of a sudden, you're covered with signs. <laughs> <laughs> covered with signs. That's quite an image. Uh, and you pretty much are because they're up on the way up on the wall, and oh, yeah. they're, they're just all over the place here. But they're they're beautiful. They well, are. you know, it's funny because, and I think I can actually bring this around to the lighthouse conversation. At first, I collected signs because I thought they were cool. Yeah, and then I started understanding the history behind the signs and the businesses that they advertised for, and the design, and they became much more interesting with their backstory. And I find that lighthouses are the same for me, where they're cool to look at, but having graves and digging into the history which we've done a deep dive into that it's far more interesting to hear about the the ways of, of the keepers and the shipping and all those stories of the shipwrecks and just books and books uh, full of folklore uh, that to me is much deeper than just the building itself right right absolutely uh, and you've had this restored fire station as your home, uh, you said, since the early 90s, which would make it uh, actually almost 30 years now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess it is almost 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you said 20 years when I asked it before, but I think Time it's almost flies. 30 years yeah. now. Yeah. And it's uh, quite amazing. How did, how did this happen? How did you get a fire station? Oh, Lynn can tell that one. We had one day off to look for a house. We'd gotten married in 1990, and uh, we had one day off, uh, President's Day weekend, to look for a house that we both had spare time. So we got in the, his truck, and we started driving around. He worked in 
uh, Watertown and I worked in Cambridge. And so we did a big circle around between, you know, Boston and all around there. And we found absolutely nothing that would be able to fit a diner inside of it or on top of it or whatever. And we were looking for something industrial that could house the signs and things like that. And we went by a whole bunch of things that we wouldn't have been able to afford or they were already occupied or they were, they just weren't available. And so dejected, we started heading home from Melrose and we were driving by and I took a look up to the right and at this cross street where we were passing Mountain Ave and there was a a brick building with a giant hole in the roof. And I said, there's our dream house. (laughs) (laughs) And we pulled up to it and it was a fire station that was burnt and had been abandoned and had a giant hole in the roof. It was all boarded up. Uh Uh-huh. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a bit of work, but it's it's worked out nice for us. I mean, it's been a great home for the three kids and uh-huh. a good place to store all the crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gorgeous. Thanks. It's beautiful. Uh, you touched on this a minute ago, but uh, I read a quote from you in one article where you were talking about your signs, and you said, quote, I love that each is unique and one of a kind. I've also come to appreciate that each sign is just a stepping off point for connecting the history of what a place meant to people, unquote. Uh, it seems to me that the same could be said of lighthouses. Uh, were lighthouses an interest of yours before you discovered that Graves Light uh, was up for sale? No, they weren't at all. Um, I think I've been thinking about lighthouses a lot, as you can imagine, um, and I think they don't have a lot of enemies. You know, some people hate dogs, mm-hmm. some people hate kids, but nobody seems to hate lighthouses. They either love them and they have lighthouse scarves and coffee mugs and things like that or they just like them and they kind of move on with their lives i think i was one of those people that just liked them and moved on with my life and how did you find out that graves light was up for auction a friend of mine from chicago actually texted me with the uh the classic hey dave you should go and buy this and sent me the listing for it uh right after it had been announced and at the time i think the minimum bid was something like ten thousand dollars or something and i was like Wait, I could just put that on an Amex card, and then I could go look at it for free because they were having tours, but you had to be a registered bidder, but you get your money refunded. So I was like, okay. So Lynn was out of town, and um, I just signed up, and I just wanted to go inside and check it out. No interest in buying it, um, but getting closer and closer, it just got cooler and cooler, and uh, it was pretty scary because it was all completely covered with soot on the outside. And nasty on the inside, just peeling paint and everything was boarded up and it was wet and disgusting. And we got to the top floor and opened it up uh, in the watch deck room. And then I looked out and I was like, wow, I was, I was born over there. I work there. I live right there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the vantage point that Graves has at the beginning of the harbor. And the woman, Barbara, who was running the auction, she said, look, I'm not trying to sell this thing because it's going to sell itself. She said, but I've looked at the list of lighthouses that are coming up for sale, and I know what I've sold already. And she goes, I don't think there's a better lighthouse in the entire inventory that's so close to um, a major metropolitan city that would be offered to the public. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is an opportunity here. Oh, it's a fantastic lighthouse, and it's one that I've been close to for a long time, too, you know, growing up where I, I grew up and being in, in the Boston area for so long. It's, I feel very close to it myself. Uh, Lynn, were you in agreement right from the start that <laughs> owning a lighthouse was a good idea? I don't know if that's a, a good question for me to ask. but Well, like 
he said I was out of town when he first got the news yeah. about it. And um, he texted me uh, where I was on vacation with my family. Uh, and he said, "How w- is it okay if I buy a lighthouse or if we buy a lighthouse? And I was like, ha ha, sure. <laughs> and he took that as fine. And he proceeded <laughs> on. And I thought, I kind of thought he was joking. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's been it's been great. And he certainly is the driving force behind it. I'm the... I'm the support guy, but um, yeah, it's it's been wonderful. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're being modest. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah. So during the GSA auction of Graves Light, the price was driven up by the fact that it became kind of a bidding war yeah. uh, between you and Bobby Sager. Right. Uh, Bobby is a well-known Boston philanthropist. He's chairman of Polaroid. He's a great photographer. Is he still chairman of Polaroid? No, he sold it. He did, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, uh, he's quite a character. He's a great photographer, uh, and he owns three other lighthouses, including mine. It's Ledge Light, just south of Boston Harbor. Uh, I met with him a couple of years ago. He's a very interesting guy. Even though you had that bidding war with him, I understand you've become friends. Absolutely. And he was quoted in one article as saying that lighthouses are, quote, small spaces where big conversations can happen, unquote. You want to say a little bit more about Bobby Sager? Um, he's a very interesting person, and he does not fit into any category. Mm-hmm. I can safely say that about him. Um, I at first didn't know who I was bidding against uh, when the auction was going, of course. And then about a couple of days later, we were in the Boston Globe, and then we got a FedEx the next day from him to buy the lighthouse from us uh, at a profit. Uh, he said he was, he'd pay us over the, the price that we had paid. And at first, it, was, it seemed like it might be a nice way to just walk away with some cash and never really make, put much effort into it. But we were really getting excited about the lighthouse at that point. And so we put him off and said, thanks, but no thanks. We met him. And I have to interrupt you. What? He did not consider it at all when you got that FedEx package. You were like, no way. We just got it. We haven't even played with it yet. Yeah. <laughs> not selling that lighthouse. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, he just kept bouncing back into our lives and asked uh, if we wanted to sell it and wanted to sell it. And I said, no. I said, look, if you really want to buy a lighthouse so bad, mine it's light is for sale. Go buy that one. Uh-huh. Thinking that he would just go away. So he did buy it. And he still came back to us again. And he came up. He's a business guy. And he came up with a great plan. Uh, about how he said he, he's got a lot of money and this place is going to take a ton of money to fix up. Um, he doesn't know how to fix up lighthouses, but he said, you apparently do. He said, so that's a that's a partnership, right? And I said, yeah, I guess you're right. So we split it with him. Um, he takes it a week and then we take it a week. And truthfully, neither of us really go out there much just to relax. I go out there all the time to work and he goes out there once in a while, but it's been great. It's mm-hmm. been a really good relationship. Very interesting guy. He's a yeah. he's a people person. He puts business deals together by building relationships with people. Yeah. Uh, so you took possession of the lighthouse in 2013, and what was the first thing you had to do when you actually took ownership? Uh, the first thing I had to do was scare both of my boys to death by taking them out there camping and pushing all the paint chips to the side and putting sleeping bags out there uh, during a gale. Uh and made them never want to go there again. <laughs> but um, we um, we had to kind of assess where all the water was coming in from because that it doesn't matter what you do with a lighthouse if you can't keep the water out. Um, and so we had a masonry restoration specialist and a structural engineer out because we figured, why start anything until you can just do that? 
And so since we had bought it in the fall, there wasn't much that we could do weather-wise before the weather sets in. So it was mostly just planning. So we took careful measurements and photographs of every floor. We went down to the National Archives and we got the original plans and the keeper's logs and all the stuff from Candace, who, God bless her, we miss her so much. Um, what a wonderful lady and uh, so generous with her time and so knowledgeable. Uh, the stuff that she found for us that really helped us in the planning stages in the winter time, uh, so that in the spring we had a game plan of how we were going to attack the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're talking about Jay Candace Clifford, the late uh, Candace Clifford, who was a fantastic researcher who knew the uh, holdings of the National Archives, the lighthouse-related holdings of the National Archives in, inside and out better than anybody else did. And I'm going to get back to her in a few minutes, but I want to talk about more about the, the restoration of the lighthouse before we get, get back to that. But you accomplished a lot in the year 2014. You did all kinds of stuff in that year. Uh, can you tell us about the replacement of the lantern glass, one of the things that you did that year? Yeah, that was actually a disaster. We uh, thought we would take the lantern glass out of the entire lantern and reglaze it and then put it back. And we wound up, because there were a few cracked pieces of glass, and we wound up cracking a few more and realized that the whole thing was, it was all bronze, so the, the frame was fine, but the glass, we even got a glass guy out there and we just couldn't deal with it. So we wound up just sealing it with um, the cracks we sealed with super glue, which is so, um, it's so lightweight that it just gets sucked right into the cracks and, um, and seals them because I was out there in a gale one time and even a crack in the glass, you'll see water just spitting out uh, from a crack that you wouldn't think that it would leak water at all. Um, so we basically gave the entire lantern a lick and a promise instead of a full restoration and it holds water. So I guess it doesn't really matter as long as it keeps the water out. Mm -hmm. But um, doing the whole lantern over um, w would be a major, major deal. It's all curved quarter-inch plate glass. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of pieces of it. The one good thing is that we do have the full working blueprints of the whole place, including the lantern. Yeah. So we know the shape and sizes of all the pieces. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful lanterns, I think, of any lighthouse, That those diagonal, those diamond-shaped panes. Yeah. And it's one of the last that was built uh and it was, that's how you can tell a newer lighthouse by those diagonal panes. I think it was sort of a more recent invention, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Ram Island Ledge Light in Maine is exactly the same. And uh, Bob, uh, isn't Rockland Breakwater? Uh, it is. Have, yeah, it's a smaller it? version of the lantern, but it is the same type of curved glass and mm -hmm. diagonal frames. Yeah. We, um, in the documents that Candace had, had uncovered, um, we learned that that lantern was cast in a, in a foundry in Milwaukee, and they were having all kinds of problems casting it, uh, the First Order Lantern. And so they had to send the guys from Boston uh, by train out to Milwaukee just to kick a little butt and kind of make things happen. But we do have a photograph of it in the foundry, completely assembled, with, mm -hmm. unpainted. It just looks gorgeous. Right. I think I've, I think I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, in the summer of 2014, you did some restoration of the weathered stone near the base of the tower, which is it's phenomenal that you're able to have that done. How how was that done exactly? Um, the the most of the cracks 
uh, in the lighthouse were superficial, but the engineer had noticed that the lighthouse has twisted over time and there are helical cracks in some of the blocks. And they said that that's sort of typical. It's not settling. It's more the forces of nature against it that has twisted it, almost like an ice cream cone gets twisted. Um, so some of the cracks were fine and we just patched them up. And then other ones had resulted in pieces of granite breaking off, maybe about the size of a loaf of bread or maybe a little bigger. And the, we found one of them in the surf and cleaned it and put it back. But the other ones were missing. So we went up to Rockport, which is the quarry where the, all the granite was quarried back in 1902. That's Rockport, Massachusetts, as opposed to Rockport, Maine. Yes. And... Um, we were able to find a couple pieces of granite just kicking around in the parking lot and we lifted them, put them in the car <laughs> and we cut them to the right shape and then put them in so that they'd be the right match. Mm -hmm. And we learned from the, from the history of the lighthouse that when they quarried it, part of the requirements that the government had was that every four or five courses, they were to cut an extra block that was oversized in case they had cracked a block in transit or in setting them, they would have some that was exactly the same color as the part of the quarry so that they didn't take a, and, and put a replacement block in that was too bright or too dark. I mean, that's how much they cared about these things when they built them. I remember that same year, 2014, I went near Graves Lighthouse in a boat just after you had it pressure washed. Oh, yeah. And I just couldn't stop raving about how beautiful it looked. Uh, it looked like it had just been built, you know, and it's a lighthouse I'd been looking at for so many years. It must have been so rewarding for you uh, that year to just just kind of sit back and, and see the progress that was being made. Well, we had uh, really had to point all the stonework to keep the water out. And in doing that, uh, they needed to acid wash the, the brick I mean, the stone rather, to so that the mortar would stick to it. And what it resulted in was a giant patchwork of these clean mortar joints and then all the soot from 100 years of steamships passing by and pollution. I liked the, the nasty look, the sort of, we'll call it the Minot's Ledge look, but um, you can't have both. So we realized we really had to clean it. I didn't want to clean it because mm -hmm. uh, I just thought it looked kind of angry and you know, forbidding. <laughs> but I'll yeah. tell you, I agree with you. Once it was clean, it looked dynamite. It yeah. really did. Yeah. It was so bright white. Yeah. Much whiter than I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe how bright it was. Yeah. It looked like it did in those old uh, early 1900s postcards. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I, every now and then we'll get an old photo of graves and you can date them roughly by the amount of soot on uh -huh. the lighthouse because it had never been cleaned once it was built. So you can tell the 1930s uh, had a little bit of soot and the 1940s a little more and right down the line. Mm -hmm. Also in 2014, you had replacement windows installed. And I believe you had some uh, stuff that was filmed for uh, this old house. Yes. You also had the commercial made about the replacement windows. Oh, the Harvey window commercial, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That was, uh, yeah. and they, uh, I don't know if it's still being shown, but it's that commercial was, uh, they got years of uh, mileage out of that commercial. Yeah, I called them and said they should make a new one instead of showing the old one. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't yet. Yeah. But now, that was a lot of fun. How did that work? You had some kind of a, a deal for that uh, for that commercial. They had tried to, to contact the Coast Guard to shoot at a lighthouse, and the Coast Guard didn't want to didn't want to engage for probably lots of reasons. And then somebody just realized that I had bought a lighthouse with Lynn, so they asked me, and I'm like, sure, you know, why not? So they came out, filmed for a day, 
Um, and then we actually got to do all the special effects for that commercial at Brickyard. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. Wow. Yeah, we made it look stormy and, you know. Double dipped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was fun. The The windows, though, were, were a challenge because they obviously have to hold back uh, not just the normal rain, but um, being an offshore light, they have to be super strong. So uh, our brother-in-law, Carl, made them out of Nantucket. Uh, and thank goodness the Coast Guard had saved some of the original sashes and put them away. And they were in the, the first floor of the lighthouse. And um, we were able to replicate the original sashes because in the 70s, they'd taken them all out and put glass blocks in. And how are those windows doing? They're fine, but they need upkeep every single year. We have to strip them and revarnish them. It's basically a boat that doesn't move. And that commercial, I think, can people still see it on YouTube, I think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. So people search, uh, search for Graves Lighthouse or, or Harvey, Harvey Windows Harvey Window commercial. Would Harvey Windows Lighthouse, something like that. Yeah. They can find that on YouTube. It's a great, it's a great little commercial. Thanks. Uh, so you've replaced windows, obviously wooden doors and trim, also. Uh, I think in the well, this is the strange thing about this place, right? Because when we got there, there was very little inside. They had completely right. I remember I was in there back in '01 okay. uh, when it, there was very little in there. But there was one door inside, and there was one banister railing, and there was one windowsill, and 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 we were able to replicate all of the things that were missing because there was still one of them left, which was neat. And the things that weren't left, we had acquired a, that full set of plans from the Coast Guard. And everything was drawn out. The the kitchen cabinets, the ceiling paneling details, everything. So we were able to build from scratch what was completely missing. So we built a new um, keeper's cabinet for all the oil wicks and lamps and so forth, which is absolutely spectacular. My my cousin built that for us. And, and I guess I'm digressing a little, but the thing that I'm so thrilled about is how many hands have touched this place? And, you know, it's not fair to give us all the credit here because so many people, so many talented people have touched this place from all over New England and New York uh, in terms of glass makers and foundry casters and wood carvers and stonemasons and weavers. And the list goes on and on and on. And these are all not big companies. These are small individual people or very, very small companies. And that's the way it was built the first time, too. You make me think of a, a movie uh, a movie director, you know, has the vision of the overall movie, but there's so many people, so many craftspeople and, and actors and, and a cinematographer and everybody else involved in the making of a movie. Yep. So you're like the movie director in this case. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, I, I saw uh, I was going through uh, your your blog on your website, which uh, you know is the source of a lot of my my questions here. Kind of reminded me of all you've accomplished there. And one of the things I, I came across that I kind of uh, had forgotten about the amazing story that a diver found a doorknob from the yeah. lighthouse on the bottom of the the harbor. Yeah, that's incredible. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Um, we didn't know what the doorknobs were like because they weren't in any of the plans. And, you know, I suppose it's not the end of the world to not know what the doorknobs were like. But when someone hands you a doorknob that he found in the cove, you feel like it probably didn't come from anywhere but graves, right? I mean, doorknobs don't migrate, as best I know. <laughs> and so I was able to buy some antique doorknobs that matched it. It was kind of a simple white porcelain doorknob. Mm -hmm. But, hey, who, who would know? Um, 
And somebody else found a coat hook in the cove as well, a brass coat hook. So I know what the style of that is. <laughs> I was able to find some antique ones online. So anytime we can find something to match it, we do. But it's not a museum. And we keep reminding ourselves that. It's our home where we can go and hang out. And so there are several things that are completely not authentic at all, but look like they might just fit. Like, for instance, there's a bathroom. Mm-hmm. And um, they did not have a bathroom. They had a, a metal bucket. <laughs> and that's what they used as a toilet. And uh, they didn't bathe uh, unless they jumped in the ocean. Uh, they washed all of their dishes with salt water from the ocean. And they had a cistern for fresh water. But they lived very um, simply. And we thought we'd kind of step it up a little bit. So we've got a fridge. <laughs> yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. You'd want to do that. Uh, tell me about the uh, the restoration of the skylights or floor lights uh, in the floor of the lantern room. That was done by Allison McDonald of uh, Ackfire Studios of Nantucket. That was neat to, to read about. Yeah, that was a challenge for her because the, these castings had to be, it was cast glass. They had to be just the right size to fit in the bronze frame that's the floor of the uh of the lantern room Mm -hmm. and so she did a lot of experimentation about how much the glass would shrink and so forth before she could make them and i gave her i pried one of them out there were more than half of them were broken uh i pried one out and sent it to her and she sent me back uh, boxes of them and instead of they were all amethyst colored because of the sun they were probably clear when they started but 100 years in the sun and they turned amethyst and I thought to myself, well, here's an opportunity to have a little bit of fun. So I had them cast in colors that reminded us of sea glass. So there's a bit of a pale brown and there's an aqua and a pale blue and that sort of thing. And it just gives you a little bit more interest when you're looking up. Mm-hmm. And tell us about the stove that was custom built for the lighthouse. And I think there was maybe a high school student involved in the design of that. Is yeah, that- yeah. My son actually... Um, went to the vocational school in Wakefield and um, you can't um, Google curved stove and come up with anything at all. There's no such thing. And square appliances and square furniture just doesn't work in a lighthouse as any lighthouse keeper can tell you. Things just fall off the back and then wind up getting lost on the floor back there. So um, he helped me design a piece of bronze that we had water jet cut on a curve and lay out all the burners. And then I bought on eBay a bunch of camp stoves and screwed the burners to the underside of the bronze plate. And then on Craigslist, I found an antique kitchen range and used all of the beautiful brass nickel plated uh, knobs for the, the manifold to turn the valves on and off for the stove. So we just built that by hand. Okay. Maybe I didn't read that closely enough. It was your son who did the yeah. <laughs> did that work. Yeah. I thought you just said it was a high school student. Uh, did you actually say it was your son on there? I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe, maybe you were a little part. mysterious about it. He He's, might have wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> you might have been he, a little mysterious about it. He's helped out it. a lot. It's nice to have yeah. a, a budding engineer in the family. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's really great. Uh, what's the situation with electricity in the tower? Of course, the light and fog signal are solar powered, but you've made some adjustments and you actually have uh, electric lights Yes. So the Coast Guard equipment's all their own system. They yeah. have their own solar panels and batteries and all that. And that yeah. runs, they come out a couple times a year just to maintain that. And they have a key and um, they call us when they're coming just to yeah. make sure we're not, you know, taking a shower or something. And one of the things we wanted to do out of Gray's was to not use as much petroleum as we 
as we could because it just seemed like it's such a beautiful sanctuary for animals and uh, we're just obviously running this planet down to the down to the ground anyway so we bought some solar panels and put them on the shed roof uh, on the dock and um, just got them on I think on amazon.com got 10 of them and we wired them up to some marine batteries and that makes all the power for the place so all the lights are 24 volts DC um, the water maker runs on, on DC power and we just use marine equipment wherever we could because everything seems to rust out there if it's not marine rated and I'll tell you something those solar panels make all the power that we need it's wonderful mm-hmm no wind power we we do have a wind uh, generator a small one that we haven't hooked up yet um, and it's in a couple boxes we just haven't gotten around to it yet but mm-hmm. there's always wind out there it seems and the closer you are to the tower the more wind there is because the tower blocks the wind and then compresses the air. So it's much windier right at the tower than it is 20 feet away from the tower. We'll continue with part two of the interview with Dave and Lynn Waller next week. By the way, probably the most famous shipwreck near the Graves ledges was the 419-foot British freighter City of Salisbury, which went aground in April 1938. It was known as the Zoo Ship because of its cargo of animals. There was no loss of human life. It was reported that three honey bears and several hundred rare birds from India and Ceylon were rescued successfully, but many monkeys and snakes died later from the effects of the accident. The ship became a tourist attraction for a few months before it finally split in two and sank. Many thanks to all members, staff, and volunteers at the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all its chapters and affiliates. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by making it a donation or becoming a member of the society. Check out the website at uslhs.org to discover everything the society has to offer. And also be sure to check out the social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our sincere thanks to our listeners and supporters. Please share this podcast on social media. Anything you can do to spread the word helps. And if you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this podcast. And thank you to everyone everywhere who works to preserve lighthouses or any kind of history. We are all on the same team. Please be kind to those around you, be careful, and stay well. And as always, thank you for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine